going to be finishing up a series that we started at the beginning of January on physical, spirit, uh, spiritual diet and exercise. Since this series began, I've lost 24 pounds physically. I've added 24 pounds spiritually. So, you know, they say it's like muscle tone. But no, I really have lost 24 pounds. I've got more to go. But uh, growing in God. And if you remember even back in January, one of my favorite messages that I preached was about self-discipline. And it was doing the right thing when no one was putting pressure on you to do it. And if you remember, we talked about the dog on the leash because I always had to be careful that my dog wouldn't do something so I had to basically control that dog. And that's not the relationship I want with God that I've got to be constantly on a leash, but that He knows that I'm making the right decisions. We also talked about spiritual diet, what we're eating. Diet is watching what you are consuming inside of yourself. And there is so much junk in this world that will just bog you down. You realize that in the physical, you can eat junk food all day long. And you can have a, a feeling of fulfillment. I could eat a bag of M&M's, okay, and feel full. But it gave my body no benefit. And so what we watched when we were going through our, our spiritual diet is, what are we consuming? Are we consuming God's Word that is life? Or are we just consuming CNN and Oprah and everything that is going to draw life from us? Also, we were talking about spiritual exercise. Today I'm going to be finishing up from one of the greatest teachers that ever taught how to actually do something. And it's going to be a great ending for it. I do want to also announce that we're going to be starting a basketball class, okay? And I want you to know I'm very excited about this. Um, In fact, Hannah, I know you're nine, nine months pregnant, right? you can even join this class. I want you to know this class is open to everyone. We are going to study basketball. We are going to watch basketball. We're going to watch testim- I mean, interviews of basketball players. Okay. The nice thing about this is that we don't ever have to get sweaty. I want you to know that what I'm going to teach you about basketball, you can do from the comfort of your chair. We won't have to get out there and change clothes in those smelly gyms. We're not going to have to worry about physical exercise, but we are going to learn basketball. You know what I also thought would be great is around Easter and, and Christmas we could sit in a big circle and just throw the ball around. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, you know, it would be almost like being a basketball player but not really having to go through the, all the physical work. Now, wouldn't that be great? You know, this is the way a lot of churches are functioning today. We're going through all the knowledge, but we're not actually ever getting out onto the court and putting into practice what that coach is teaching us. Man, we watch videos and we, watch, we listen to CDs and we absorb ourselves with so much knowledge. And then we love listening to people who are actually out doing the work of the kingdom of God. But we don't want to get sweaty. We don't want to change our clothes. We don't have to go through the practice. You see, it's very important that our, we have to understand our education in anything is not complete until we put it into practice. Now, Miss Sarah wants to be a doctor. So at some point, she's going to have to get in front of real people. And she's going to have to start asking them questions because she can have all the head knowledge... But if she never applies it, then all she did was run up a huge debt for her mom and dad. Joey is a great mechanic. He could study, 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 but until he actually got in front of an engine, it did no good. Do you understand? We have people who want to be teachers, but until they actually get in front of students, their education isn't complete. And that's the same way with the body of Christ. We have so much knowledge in the body of Christ today. If you think about it, man, we've got online commentaries. We've got discussions and blogs. We've got videos. We've got DVDs. We've got CD sermons. We could listen to sermons 24-7 and be probably the most knowledgeable and do the least amount until we're ready to get off of the the seats and into the field. And when you look at who would want to join a basketball class that's never going to have any practice time, other than Blair, because she's like supreme in basketball. Who else would want to do this? And yet that's what we do every Sunday. We just sit, we absorb, we get knowledge, and then during the week we do nothing. 
And this is where our spiritual exercise is going to take place. If you have your Bibles with you, open up to uh, the, the book of Mark chapter 6. And we're going to be talking about Jesus and the way that He taught His twelve disciples. It's called the training of the twelve. And it's very important that we see that Jesus is teaching His disciples in this passage. We're going to go from verses 6 through 13. But you're going to see where Jesus is teaching His disciples how to actually do the work of the ministry. And what He's saying in this. Now this is Jesus kind of saying to His guys, Alright, you've watched me preach. You've watched me do healings. You've seen me love people that were unlovable. You've observed all these things. Now it's your turn to go out and do this. You see, because he didn't bring these 12 apostles to be some peanut gallery that was just going to nod and clap and cheer. And, and he had them as a part of their life as a purpose. And he's saying, it's not that I have to do everything. I'm transferring power over to you to go out and do this. And so we're going to be looking at the five tools for ministry that God, that Jesus Christ gave his disciples and Jesus Christ gave us. He's given us five tools. And the first point, if you're taking notes, is that Jesus is our model for ministry. If you have your Bibles in Mark chapter 6, verse 6. Mark's a real good book of the Bible, I've got to tell you. Um, it's one of my favorites. Mark 6, verse 6, it says, Their unbelief amazed him. Then Jesus went around to the villages and taught. Now, if you want to see why their unbelief amazed them, I want you on your own time to go back and look at the beginning, the first five verses of Matthew 6. I mean, Mark 6. Before he tells his disciples to go out and to do the work of the ministry, we need to see he was actually doing the work of the ministry. See, Jesus led by example. Now, I don't know if you've ever worked in some of the places I've worked, but I've had management that wouldn't really know how to do what they're telling their employees to do. They don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't want to leave the seat cushion of their office. They will send you because they don't want to do it. But Jesus didn't control everything from heaven saying, okay, now do this and do this and do this. Jesus humbled himself and came to this earth and and, and became nothing for us. He, didn't, he wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born of, of, of the royalty of this earth. He didn't have all of the servants. He was a very hands-on Savior. And He became the perfect sacrifice on the cross for you and for me. That, that worship song today was applicable. Because we won't fathom. We won't understand what it's like not to be in the presence of God. But Jesus is leading by example. And He came here, He showed up, He was very hands-on, He's a very practical Savior. I want you to also notice that Jesus didn't wait around for the villagers to to come to Him. He went to the villages. Okay? This is very important. Because what we see in the body of Christ today is, Oh God, would you fill our churches with the people that need to hear this message? And I really think what Jesus was saying is, why don't you get out of your chairs and go to the people? You see? Because the majority of the work of Christ is done outside the four walls of a church. Wow. One amen and that's right? Now we know who's staying inside the four walls of the church, don't we? The point being though is we spend so little time here inside the four walls of what we call our church. But that should be our church out there. Where we work, where we go to school, where we play, our neighbors, the people we shop with, the people we're driving beside. Have you ever thought about that? That the people that are surrounding you in traffic, God knew that you'd be in that traffic jam or God knew that you'd get to fly right through certain areas? Not DWG. But you'd get to fly through other areas? (laughs) If you've ever driven through Worthington Gardens, you'll know what that comment meant. But He knows the places of our habitation. He knows where we're going to work. He knows where we're going to live. He knows our neighbors. He knows your mother-in-law. He knows your father-in-law. He knows that goofball cousin of yours. He knows all these people and said, I'm still putting you in that family. So everything that you're complaining about, God knew before you were even formed in the womb. And that is where our church, that's where our ministry should be. That's talking about getting out to the people and ministering to them. 
It happens when we reach out to people. You know when it's happening? You know when the church is really happening? Is when I am with my family and we're talking about right and wrong issues in this world today. When I'm sharing the Word of God or what the Scripture says, I'm completing the work of Christ. When I get a chance or an opportunity to encourage a coworker or a classmate, I get to bring some peace into their life. I'm completing the work of Christ in that situation. Do you realize this? When you get a chance to talk to one of your neighbors and their world is crumbling down and they know that you're a born-again Christian and they come to you for just something, you're performing the work of Christ. It's happening in your yards. It's happening in the workplace. It's happening in the school. It doesn't have to happen here. But I'll tell you what, when they see a real God, they will come here because they're experiencing Him out there. See, right now their world's falling apart outside there. And we're waiting for them to come into here so we can help them. We need, as Jesus said, to send the twelve out so that we're going to them and not saying, well, you know what, we're just going to build this huge coliseum. We're going to make it bigger than the Romans. We're going to do something so fabulous. I'll be the architect. I'll do some supernatural things. We'll actually have an AV system and lighting, even though it's not going to be created for another 1,800 years. We're going to do all this. And then we're going to bring everybody in here. That wasn't Jesus' plan. So if it worked for Jesus, don't you think it would work for us? I mean, I'm just simple enough to believe that what worked for God and what worked for Jesus, that should be my model, my model to go. And so that's what we're talking about. Also, a second point of this five-point message is that Jesus gives us companionship for ministry. The companionship. In verse 7, we read this. He called the twelve apostles and He sent them out by two. Now I want you to know that it was very customary in that time, both in the Greek and the Jewish cultures, that when they sent a messenger, they would send them out in twos. That way there was protection, that way there were two witnesses in case anything were to happen, but that was the standard of why they would send them out in two. I also see that God speaking to us today that the ministry that He's planned for us, He never intended for us to do by ourselves. There are no Lone Ranger Christians out there. We need each other. I need you guys to complete what God's asked, asked me to do, and you need me to be encouragement and give you direction in what God's called you to do. But what happens is when we start becoming that isolated person that just feels that no one understands them and that the church is not relatable and the Word of God is not speaking to them anymore, all of a sudden they grow cold. We need each other. I'm so thankful for my wife and my children. Man, there's so many times that I'll, I'll mention something to them and they'll, they'll have a scripture. They'll just say something that, that actually brings me back to a little bit of reality. And that God truly does love me and that He does care for me. And because He's called me, He will provide and He'll give me the strength and the ability to do what He's asked me to do. In fact, we even see this in Acts 13. When Paul is being sent out, the Holy Spirit selected Paul and, and Barnabas to be sent out and do you know, several months ago, I did a message on Barnabas. Does anybody remember what Barnabas' name meant? Son of encouragement. You know what I'm telling you is this. When God has called you to step out in faith and to do something, you need a partner, a son of encouragement, that is going to encourage you because it is going to get difficult. It is going to get rough. Okay? Anytime you step out in faith, anytime that Satan sees that you are standing on the Word of God, he is going to come against you. And that's when you need people to say, John, I know you can do this. Come on, man. Let's get into this. You need people who will be praying for you, interceding for you, fasting for you. And when they are talking to you, they're encouraging you. That's what we need when we step out in the body of Christ. But what happens is we have become such an isolated community that when we just hear that God's asked us to do something, we don't ask for His timing, we don't ask for His provision, we just run out the door and start doing what He's asked us to do. And that's not the way to be doing things. Man, when God's asking you to step out in faith, first thing that you should be praying for, not first should be the anointing, but secondly, the encouragers, the people that will be going alongside of you. That when you feel that no one else cares, you're going to get that email. 
when nothing else is happening. This week, John sent me a, a text message, or was it a text or email? And it was right on because at that time I was going just through an attack from Satan, feeling that no one cared. No, I mean, if nothing else happened, no one would even matter. And man, he just sent me this text saying, you know, I just want to let you know that I, you were passionately on my heart today. I was praying for you. I was interceding for you. And man, it just broke me. What I had to do is I had to get out of my little pity party and come back to reality. That it's not all about me. Do you understand? Because sometimes Satan will try to isolate you. And that no one else will understand your problems. No one else has ever been what you've had to go through. No one else understands the pressure on your precious little shoulders. Wrong. We are all there. We will all help you. But see, what happens is when you get isolated, you can get discouraged. So that's why when Jesus is sending him out, he says, I'm going to send you out two by two. So no one is going to get isolated out there. No one's going to get attacked. There's safety in numbers. So it's important that when we go out and we step out into what God's called us to do, we have that encouragement. Ecclesiastics 4 verses 9 through 12 tells us this. Two people are better than one because together they have a good reward for their hard work. If one fails, the other can help his friend get up. But how tragic it is for the one who is all alone when he falls. And there is no one to help him get up. Verse 11. Again, if two people lie down together, how can they keep warm? But how can one person, uh, but how can one person keep warm? Though one person may be overpowered by another, two people can resist one opponent. A triple braided rope is not easily broken. Sherry today, when leading, I'll tell you, you guys missed an awesome prayer time from 10.10 to 10.30. Man, we prayed for the the victims of the uh, Christ Church in New Zealand. But Sherry said something. She said, you know, the Word of God says that one of us puts 1,000 to flight. Two of us puts 10,000 to flight. And I just thought about the 15 or 18 people that were in there. I said, what power does this have? How many millions does this have the ability to affect? But it talks about the power of unity. And that's what we need when we're stepping out. And this scripture is definitely uh, supporting that we're to go out and have our Barnabases with us. You know, a lot of marriage problems can be solved if we would just start becoming that encouragement to the other person. It doesn't mean you have to approve everything you're doing. Just like a parent, I choose the things that, I'm doing, that, that they're doing that are good, and I'm encouraging that, and I'm discouraging the things that are bad. I don't tell my little girl, man, you ran across that four-lane road really, really quick. You want to do it again? No. I'm going to say, we do not run across four-lane roads. But I do like the way that you did this. She's looking, what does that have to do with four-lane roads? But you know what? I encourage the good things. I discourage the bad things. What happens in a bad marriage is you turn that around. You harp on the bad things. You don't mention the good things. And I know I'm taking y'all's thunder here, so forgive me on this one. But you see what I'm saying? We have to get priorities right. And we need that encouragement. We need those people in our lives. Someone who will be praying for you. Someone who will work with you. Somebody who will love you. Don't try to do everything by yourself. Get some help. My third point in this is that Jesus gives us power for ministry. The second part of verse 7 tells us this. And He gave, he gave them He didn't loan it to them. He gave them authority over evil spirits. I am sick and tired of hearing people saying, I can't do this. How am I supposed to encourage others when I can't encourage myself? I ask them, do you want some cheese with that wine? Because that's all we're doing. It's important for us to understand that in our own selves, we can do nothing. But with Christ, I can do all things. Greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. And when we're out there being lone ranger Christians, then all of a sudden when the attacks come, we feel all alone because there's no one standing beside us. There's no one encouraging us, praying for us. So it's important that we understand. It's not by my might. It's by His power that I'm going to see things happening in the kingdom of God. That's why I think this week I was getting frustrated because there's so many things I want happening in y'all's lives. And I was taking that on personally. 
And I think the reality came and says, you know what? It's not your role to change their lives. It's your role to teach them the Word of God. Let me do the change. Let my Holy Spirit go in there and convict them. Let my Holy Spirit be their voice that guides and leads them. Because I'll tell you what, if all you're getting from me, you're getting man. But when you start hearing from God, you're getting supernatural power from on high. The same voice that spoke the universe into being, which we still don't comprehend. I see. I don't understand how there could be atheists when there's so much detail in this world. The detail of a cell, the detail of the universe, is the way that our, our atmospheres are created. And we just think all that happened. Well, why don't we just throw a bunch of mud against the wall and see if it turns into art? <laughs> and then I'll sell it to you for millions of dollars. Okay? Yeah. See, that's the way we want to believe. And I think inside, every person has a measure of faith. Yeah. Deep down inside, they're saying, you know what, there's got to be a creator to this universe. There's got to be some that, that set this whole thing in motion. But they just don't know how to reach them. But they know how to reach you. They know how to email you. They know how to Twitter you, Facebook you, call your cell phone number, knock on your door when you really don't want to be talking to anybody. Then there's God's sense of humor. He puts them in line with you when you're standing. Okay? For a long time. Austin and I were joking. I'm the only person who can go to Costco within 20 seconds and get into a gallbladder story with someone. It's not my gallbladder, okay? I don't go around talking about it. He's like, Dad, how do you do that? I said, I just asked one simple question. But when you ask that question and they start telling you everything that's wrong with them, listen, pray for them, love them. Because that's why we're here. He's asking us to, to, mentor, to mentor people. And He's given us the Holy Spirit. I just mentioned Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you might need to write that down for this week. Because if you're going through a difficult situation and you don't know how it's going to work out, you need to remember this scripture. That says, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Strength. Strength to endure. Strength to understand. Strength to go forward. Quit standing still. You see? So it's important that we understand the roles that God has given us through Jesus Christ when He's sending out His twelve. The fourth point is that Jesus gives us provision for ministry. Verse 8, He tells us this. He instructed them to take nothing along with them on the trip except a walking stick. And they were not to take any food, a traveling bag, or money in their pockets. It wasn't because American Airlines was charging $25 per bag. I want you to know it didn't have anything to do with this. Why he was saying they could have a walking stick or staff was because the terrain around Galilee was very rocky and very hilly. And there were also wild animals. So not only was this to keep stability in your walk, but it was also to be protection against anything that might come. Robbers wild animals. So he's sending them out really with just a walking stick. Verse 9 says they could wear sandals but could not take along a change of clothes. And you know what Jesus is telling them? Travel light. Okay? I'm sending you out for a purpose. I think there's two reasons why he sent them out traveling light. One is to teach the disciples that in every situation God will always be able to take care of them. God will always be able to take care of them. Remember, for these 12, this was a very short-term missions trip. This was only going to take place for a very short period of time. And Jesus wanted them to know from the very, very beginning that when God calls you, God will provide for you. Do you understand that? When God calls you into something, God will provide for you. Now when we take that calling and we twist it and we make it something that's more of us and less of God, that provision will go away. But when God calls you, He will provide for you. In fact, two years later, Jesus is sitting around with the disciples looking back at this experience that we're talking about. And it's referenced in Luke 22, verse 35. And it says, Then Jesus said to them, When I sent you out without a wallet, without a traveling bag, or sandals... You didn't lack anything, did you? Not a thing, they answered. 
He's even referencing back saying, you know what, when I sent you out before and you had nothing, did I take care of you? Did I give you a place to stay? Was there food in your bellies? Was there protection about you? And we have to realize that applies today. That when God is sending us out, He will provide for you. He will make a place for you. He will be your provision. Man will not be your provision. When you put your hope in man, you're going to get fail. But when you put your hope in God, He is going to guide and direct. And you know what? God knows our heart. God knows where we're putting our hope. Oh, we can, we can speak the verses and we can do all this, but deep down inside, there's, well, what if it doesn't come through? What if that check doesn't arrive? What's going to happen on this? I'm going to tell you that fear is the enemy of faith. Amen. Right there. You cannot walk in fear and you cannot walk in faith at the same time. There's times where I've had to say, what can mere man do to me? That's scriptural. What can they do to me? I'd rather honor my Lord God than bow down to the pressures of man. And we have to understand that when God calls, God will provide. And they had to see this. There was never a time that we didn't have what God needed us to take care of us. It may not have been what we wanted, but we were taken care of. You understand? Man, my dorm room in, in college was plain. I had six roommates, one bathroom. I had one roommate that determined the reason day it was to do laundry is when his sock would stick on the wall. If it stuck, he would do laundry. This was not where I wanted to spend the rest of my life with these five other guys in one bathroom. So I was like, Lord, get me through this as quickly as possible. And there are times when we are going to get through seasons of life so that we can inherit the things that God has called us to do. So it's important that we have to understand sometimes what we want and what God provides are two different things. But He's still providing. He wants us to step out on faith and serve Him. And He will take care of us. I think another reason why Jesus told the apostles to travel light is so that we would be totally committed to the missions that they were called to. Thank you for that one Amen. In the 21st century, we live in a very comfortable, posh life. I want you to know, we are blessed. No matter what situation you're going through, we could go somewhere else in the world and you would realize the blessings that we have being here in the United States. So your car is 10 years old. Big deal. You want to ride a camel that's 10 years old? Or maybe a 5-year-old camel? Would you trade that? Or how about a donkey cart that's only a year old? You see... We are so blessed. But I also think that sometimes that becomes a distraction to why we are on this earth. Amen. Remember I told you, write down little smart points every time I say them throughout the year. Here comes a smart point. Maybe your whole life is a short-term missions trip. I'm going to say it to this group over here. What if your whole life was one short-term missions trip to God? And we're wondering, should we wear the blue blouse or the pink blouse? Does it go with my shoes or not go with my shoes? Now, there is nothing wrong with having provision. As long as provisions don't have you. Money is not evil. It's the love of money that is evil. And I'll tell you, you'll know your motives when the Holy Spirit tells you to give something to somebody you don't know and you don't want to give it. All of a sudden, it holds you. You don't hold it. Do you understand? When somebody says, give that woman over there $80, and you're thinking, but I have $81, God. It's kind of lopsided, isn't it? Could we talk about maybe a $40.50 each kind of thing? Maybe she has change or something, you know? That seems fair, God. And I'm going to tell you that if you decide to pass that blessing, He's going to speak to somebody else to get that $80 to her. And they're going to inherit because the Bible says that when you loan to the poor, you're loaning to God. And I'm going to tell you that God pays great interest. But we don't want to give up that what's in our wallet. We don't want to, to give up the luxuries of life. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. God has blessed us to be in this country. God has blessed us with abundance. But we were not blessed to hoard up. We are blessed to give. Do you understand? Blessed to give. How ridiculous is it for God to create us on our short-term mission trip and the prize would be who can collect the most things during this life? 
But God, I have 12 Mercedes, and this is my Lexus series over here, and these are my three homes. Let me show you my 70-inch LCD or LED plasma. How many people did you win to the Lord? Counting myself, God? One. But i got to tell you, I have a 401k portfolio that's going to roll your... You do wear socks, right, God? It's going to roll your socks down. He doesn't care about that. The streets in heaven are paved with gold. What we're working for is common there. But the Word of God says that he who wins souls is wise. So why don't we look and see what God is doing through His Word. Let's see what God values. And why don't we get on the same bandwidth as that? Because it's not about what you collect during your 70 plus years here on this earth. It's about the lives that you're affecting. That is something that you can take with you. Because everything else is going to get passed on to someone else. They get to enjoy your 70-inch plasma TV. They get to enjoy your Lexus and Mercedes. Everything that you did, when you worked till midnight to close that deal, somebody else is going to get to enjoy. And in the time, our families were crumbling. Our relationships were crumbling. So it's important that we understand why we are here on this short-term missions trip. And he's saying, you know what? When I send you out, I'm going to take care of you. And don't get so preoccupied with things. Verse 10 tells us this. And he told them, whenever you go into a home, stay there until you're ready to leave that place. In other words, he's saying, don't go around looking for the nicest accommodations. Because I want to tell you that you have to know the culture during that time. During that time, there were a lot of philosophers that were wandering around the area. This was very common for philosophers to wander, mooch off people. And if you understand the culture, the culture was always bringing somebody into your home. There was no Holiday Inn back then. It was your home. And these people would stay for long periods of time. But what the philosophers would do is that they would stay at John's house. But when Al would invite me to come to his house, which is much nicer than John's house, I would go to Al's house. Not the outhouse, Al's house, okay? Just want to make sure. Then, when Fran invites me over to her house, it's twice the size of Al, so I would go there. Now, this is what the culture was, waiting for a better offer. And Jesus is saying, you know what, forget this. When somebody invites you to their house, you go and you stay with them. Because it's not all about you, it's about me. Do you understand? When we're shopping around for the best accommodations, who has the comfiest bed, who's the better cook, this is all about my flesh. But when it's saying, you know what, if they welcome you in their home, you stay there until you're ready to move on. Even if better offers come on. That's going to amaze them. You turn down going over to Fran's house to stay here? Because that's what Jesus told me to do. Tell me more about this Jesus. Because it was going against what was so cultural. And don't we do that today? Man, don't we switch things? Oh, hey, guess what? This church is offering free cotton candy after service. Let's all go there. But Pastor Mark, it's free cotton candy. And then we run over here for a while. Or we hear that this is going to happen. Or we see that a tree is weeping tears like the Virgin Mary. So we drive to San Antonio to go see the weeping tree. Sorry. It's important that we do what God calls us to do and to treat people the way God wants us to treat them. There's nothing wrong with experiencing finer things in life, but the main reason why you live your life is to serve the Lord, not yourself. I tell you, I go for my walks, and I went for a walk, and God asked me a question. This is a very simple question. Do I exist for Him? Or does He exist for me? I know it was God because I'm not that smart. Okay, I'm just going to tell you. I don't have these great thoughts when I'm praying. I'm more like squirrel, dog, (laughs) car, okay? And I had to say, God, I hope that my answer can be that I exist for You. But forgive me when I place you in existing for me. And there's sometimes we put God in a box and He's just there for us when we need Him. 
Oh man, when I need a touch in my body. Oh, I got to get prayer. Or I'm going through a financial breakthrough and I need God really to show up. Is this the only time that I'm really reaching out to God? Because if that is your MO of spiritual living, then God is just existing for you. I think you should join my basketball class if that's your <laughs> depth. Verse 11 tells us this, wherever people don't welcome you or listen to you, leave and shake the dust from your feet as a warning to them. Now, once again, I've got to take you into the culture at that time. Because what they were saying is when you're going through an area and that area is so sinful and they're so wicked and they're not listening to you, you shake the dust off as saying, I'm disassociating myself with this because I accomplished what God asked me to do. But I'm not going to have a part of this wickedness. And what's happening is the church has blended in so much into today's world's wickedness, you can't tell where the church is ending and where the world's beginning. Because we've not only not shaken the dust off, we're covered in it. And that's why some churches are so dusty. You didn't pay to get in here today. I just want you to know that, okay? We've haven't shaken the dust off of our society. And we've accepted sin and we've ordained it. Wickedness has become accepted. We have not shaken the dust off of what, well, but you know what, I'm just supposed to love all these people. Yes, love the people, but not their sin. And if I truly love you, there's going to be time. Remember, I've, I've always told the men this. There's times when you need a coach in your life, and there's times when you need cheerleaders. Man, we love the cheerleaders. Tell us, yes, you can do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. The coach is coming and saying, what are you doing? Why did you run the wrong direction when I handed you the ball? Why did you just score for the other team? Let's don't do that anymore. Now go give me 50 yo-yos. See, the point being, though, is we don't want correction. We don't like the correction. We just want cheerleaders telling us that everything's going to be all right. We love happy gospel. There's times, though, that I have talked to people and they haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Maybe they're enjoying the sin in their, their life right now. The Word of God does say that sin is good for a season. It's for a season. And that season's going to end. When your beauty fades and nobody wants you anymore because you're so beautiful for covers and magazines. Or when your money runs out and your friends ran out at the same time. You see, you're going to realize that this was all emptiness. And it's just going from one high to another to another to another when you're really just seeking the peace of God in your heart. So there's times when people will get hostile towards you when you just share your faith. It could be a coworker, It could be a classmate. It could be a teacher. It could be a neighbor. That's when we have to shake the dust off and say, God, I tried. Holy Spirit, would you move in their hearts? Because until that happens, they're not ready to receive. There's some times when we keep going after them and just making them mad. And there's times you have to back off and say, Lord, who do you want me to minister to? There's an old saying, don't try to teach a pig to sing. One, it's not going to happen. Two, it makes the pig mad. And there's sometimes there's people in our lives that just don't want to hear what we have to say. But I'll tell you what, for every one, there's probably a thousand that would love to have some time with you to hear what the Scriptures have to say. Why can you have peace when there's so much trouble in this world? To hear your testimony of how God saved you and how God delivered you out of darkness. How God healed your body. Maybe they need healing in their bodies and they want to see somebody who's actually been healed. So it's important we understand that God will provide the right people Pray that God will send people along your path. Man, I'll tell you, there have been some very easy people to pray with, and there's been some very difficult people to pray with. My last point in this message is that Jesus also gives us practice opportunities for ministry. Verse 12 says this, So the apostles went and told people that they should turn to God and change the way they think and act. You know what that is? That's, there's where it was. The word repent. 
We don't like that word very much, but it's still a word. And what it was saying is turning direction. Repent is basically doing a 180 on the direction that you were going. And it's turning around. People didn't like to hear about their sin. They didn't like to hear about the way they'd been living their lives. The disciples were out there telling them about Jesus Christ and accepting them as His personal Savior. So you can see how easily this was a preaching problem. Because they're going out confronting sin and telling them about a Savior, a new way to live. The interesting thing about this, though, is that God also gave them the ability to perform miracles. And I'm going to tell you, when healings start taking place, when deliverance starts taking place, you'll see more of an open receptiveness to salvation. Because all we're doing right now is just shoving rules and, and condemnation on them. And we're not praying for them. We're not laying on our hands. But Pastor Mario, that's not my anointing. You know what? I'd rather you pray for a thousand people and 999 of them not get healed, but one would, than for you to do nothing at all. Do you understand? If you feel that God's calling you for a healing ministry, ask God for that anointing. But preach them, teach them, and then lay hands on them. That's what Jesus did. We like to just go right into laying on the hands. But Jesus taught them and then laid hands and healed them. So it's important that we understand that people, when they see a healing God, they're going to be open to salvation. Verse 13 also tells us this. They also forced many demons out of people and poured oil on many who were sick to cure them or heal them. And I want you to notice that the disciples did two things. In verse 12, we see them ministering to the people's eternal needs. But in verse 13, we see them dealing with the person's personal needs. God wants us to minister to a whole person. Man, we're so eager to yell at people about hell, but we don't want to really get involved in their daily activity. And God is asking us to get involved in people's lives. He's concerned not only about our eternal destiny, He's concerned about our immediate situation. Did you hear that? God is concerned about your immediate situation today. What is important to you is important to God. Unfortunately, there are some things that are important to God that are not important to us. And He's concerned about the problems that we're facing right now. And just as Jesus sent His disciples out to to help the hurting people of Galilee, He's also sending us out to help the hurting people of Arlington, and Mansfield, and Dower and Lincoln Gardens, and Pantego, and Grand Prairie, and HEB, and Fort Worth, and Dallas, Plano, Richardson, Mesquite, Red Oak, Roanoke. You want to know where your ministry is? It's not inside these four walls. It's out there. Where you work, where you play, where you live, where you drive. There's where church should be taking place. It's important that we understand that we're all called to the kingdom of God and we're all called to taking Christ to these people. You see, the day of the pastor doing everything is gone. Jesus didn't say, guys, let me handle this with my supernatural abilities. I can do the work of all of you. No, he took time to pour himself into those 12. And that's what I am supposed to do is to pour myself into you all and to encourage you guys to walk into the ministry that God's called you to do. That you were born with a purpose. You were created with a vision that God wants you to complete. You are not a wasted space. There are so many people who feel they have nothing to give to God. And if they would just realize that God has a plan and a purpose for their life. Amen. Ephesians 4, 11, 12, and this is my last scripture in closing, tells us this. He also gave apostles, prophets, missionaries, as well as pastors and teachers as gifts to be His church. Their purpose is to prepare God's people to serve and to build up the body of Christ. Let me read verse 12 again. Their purpose is to prepare God's people to serve and build up. 
not come on Sunday all pretty. I got to tell you, I would not be able to do this ministry and keep my full time job if it weren't for key people in this ministry. I got to tell you, every once in a while, during teardown, I'll see first time guests folding chairs. (laughs) And it makes me realize they're a part of making this Lake House Church happen. They really are. What you don't see behind the scenes are the people that show up on Saturday nights and are setting up the nursery and the classrooms and bringing everything in. You're not here early morning when all the musicians are here practicing and the sound guys are, are, are preparing. And when the hospitality team has to be here an hour early just to get coffee going so there'll be enough made and water bottles brought in and the tables decorated and the lights set up. Without all of that, this would not happen. That's the way God's called us to have church. And they don't really do it because most of them, you you wouldn't even know who does what. But they're serving God in a very simple way. Whether it's folding chairs so that someone can come in here and hear the gospel message and get saved, or whether it's out in their workplace during lunchtime sharing a scripture it's all the work of God but what's important for us to realize is that the time has come for us to get off of the chairs and onto the field and right then you may have thought oh but Pastor Mark I can't do this then right there fear came into your life do you understand when that challenge went out to say we've been talking about spiritual diet we've been talking about spiritual exercise now is the time to do something And if you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep getting what you've been getting. So maybe today is a day of challenging you to do new things for God. To seek Him in ways you've never sought Him before. To dream bigger dreams than you've ever been able to dream before. And you know what? When you have a huge vision, that's usually a God-sized vision. Because when you can do it, that's your vision. But man, when it brings in more resources than you can comprehend you're just getting into the slow lane with God and he's going to start moving you over to the fast lane because what he's looking for are people that expect God to perform what he's called us to do and it's not by my might nor by my power but by his spirit says Lord it's time to get off of the chairs and onto the field That's what this whole series has been about. This whole series is about what are we eating? What are we consuming? How are we treating our bodies? Now what are we going to do now that we know that God has called us? Sunday morning Christians are going to fall fast. Because times are going to get a lot rougher before the kingdom of God comes. I mean, I wish I could tell you that everything is going to be sunshine and lollipops. But if you read Revelation, it's going to get worse. But then it's going to get glorious. You see, in heaven, there's not going to need to be any faith. Do you realize that? There's not going to be any sickness in heaven. There's not going to be any disease. There's going to be no lack. There's going to be the problems. There's no anxiety in heaven. This is when we're working those things out in our lives. Remember our short-term mission trip? This is our chance to shine. To say, God, whatever you want me to do, here I am. Because in heaven, all of us are going to be doing this. And what he's looking for are those who can raise their hands when no one else is raising them. Do you understand? Oh, but Pastor Mark, nobody raises their hands. That's when I raise them higher. Nobody's preaching that anymore. That's when I make it a series. It's important for us to start making right decisions at the right time and understanding wrong decisions and not recreating them. I'd like to give you an opportunity today to make the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And it's not where you're going to eat lunch or who you're going to marry, but it's not where you're going to spend eternity. Because we were all born with eternity.
You can't choose it. It's not a mute button on your RCA or your remote. We all have eternal life. Where you're going to spend it, you can make that decision right now by accepting Jesus Christ not only as your Lord, but as your Savior. You have to understand that your works alone will not get you into heaven. Your money will not get you into heaven. Your name will not get you into heaven. The faith of your parents will not get you into heaven. The Bible says that everything that I could do without Christ is still filthy rags. Filthy, in fact, if you look that up, it's grotesque of what those rags... Filthy is a clean word of the definition of that. But Christ came and lived a sinless life and died on a cross for you and for me and became the perfect sacrifice. In fact, his entire episode on the cross was taking place during Passover. Study that one time. Understand the times of Passover and when when the lamb would be sacrificed and when Christ was on the cross. Look at all of the scriptures that Christ fulfilled that were written hundreds of years before that. Read his words that were spoken on the cross in the book of Psalms. See the fulfillment of scripture that he fulfilled everything perfectly for you and for me. And all we have to do is accept Him and receive Him as our Savior and Lord. It comes through saying a very simple prayer, but it's actually through a mindset of saying, God, You are in control and I am not. You will be Lord of my life. And I will serve You all the days of my life. And His precepts are love people, do good, speak encouragement. I'd like to lead you in a very simple prayer. And if you say this prayer, it will radically change your life. And it's going to ruin you in the sin that you've been experiencing. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and I am saved. Amen. Now if you said that and you meant that, angels are rejoicing in heaven. And you know what? We're going to get a chance to talk about this throughout eternity saying, you remember that Sunday, Pastor Mark, that you preached about basketball? That's the day I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. See, God does use the foolish things to confound the wise. He uses the weak things to overcome the strong. But it's all about the gospel. It's all about going out into our world and being Christ. I'd like to speak a blessing over you as we dismiss, so if you all would stand. I have actually enjoyed this series. I truly have. It's radically changed my life spiritually. It's radically changed my life physically. I know that God has plans for us. Because look at the preparation that He is sending for us. He is preparing us for great things this year. He's preparing us, if we're only obedient, to walk in the ways that He's calling us to. So may the Lord bless you and protect you. And may the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. So go in His peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We love you.